0: Now getting you set for everything Cardinals. It is second game as a Cardinal. Three home runs. This is the Redbird Report Show with the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Danny Mann. out there. Oh, hey. On 101 ESPN.
1: Away we go here in Jupiter, Florida. Spring training home of the St. Louis Cardinals. Camp is now in full swing. Position players reported to camp yesterday, so it is full workouts in preparation for Saturday. Yes, Saturday will be the first game of spring training. You can see that on Fox Sports Midwest. Baseball is most definitely back. Coming up on the show, an extended visit and sit down with Cardinals president of Baseball Operations John Moselock. You'll also hear from scouting director of the Cardinals, Randy Flores. Some of the news of what's happening here in camp. One of the players who's been here in Florida for well over a month, second baseman Colton Long. Last year, he won his first gold glove. He doesn't want to give it up. Obviously continue to, to you know chase that. I, want, I don't want to just win it one year. I want to continue to win the gold glove. I want to make this... Something that people know
2: me as, you know, I, I don't want to be a one and done kind of guy, you know, so I'm constantly working, trying to get better and
1: constantly trying to add to the repertoire, whether it's, you know, my speed or, or hitting. I'm trying to get better in every
3: aspect of my game.
1: A player that will see plenty of time on the infield this spring with Colton Wong is one of the Cardinals top prospects third baseman Nolan Gorman. It's getting in here obviously
2: first big league camp kind of getting to know the guys and listen to them and learn from them and you know pick up as much as I can about gaming baseball and you know eventually take that into the season and progress through the minor leagues and you know hopefully help out the St. Louis Cardinals one day.
1: As he mentioned his first big league camp And he's walking into the clubhouse with Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, it's super special. You know, you take that moment, you walk in the clubhouse, you see those
2: guys here. You know, they're going to be the first ones here all the time. So you you try to beat them and you try to emulate what they do and follow them around and see how they're going about their business and the professionalism that they have. And, um, you know, everything that they do, obviously, has worked out for many, many years in this game. So take that in as much as possible. What's
1: he trying to do to get to the big leagues? I think just everything, just becoming a
2: well-rounded player. Um, Um, You know, defensively, obviously, we got great guys for that as far as coaches go and, you know, working with the big league guys who, you know, Colton Wong, Gold Glover, Paul DeYoung, Carpenter, you know, all of them, being able to pick their brains and get, you know, more information on the defensive side and then obviously, you know, hitting this that comes and I'm going to have to obviously develop into the being consistent and all that stuff. But as far as this early in spring training, it's, you know, getting
1: everything dialed in and and ready to go for live at-bats. The Cardinals have over 70 players in camp. And they brought back a former top pick that was traded away a few seasons ago for Brandon Moss. That's left-handed pitcher Rob Kaminsky.
4: Everything worked out, so I was happy to come back. Deep down, I always knew I wanted to come back. Just a you know special place. First team that gave me a shot, so it was always uh, an option to have. And happy Vooch called, and it all worked out. You know, I got six weeks to impress and uh, get back into the Cardinal culture and pick brains of the, the vets. And we've got a really a bunch of good lefties. So I'm excited. to you know, pick their brain. We got Cam, we got Miller, obviously, Webbs. I'm excited to pick their brain and uh, not too worried about where I started or what not. I was young, I was 18, 19, 20, and then got sent over to Cleveland. I learned a lot with Cleveland, learned a lot here that I brought to Cleveland, so it's been, uh, been a crazy, strange ride, but I'm back.
1: This summer, the Baseball Hall of Fame will have a St. Louis flavor to it. Ted Simmons going into Cooperstown, and so is Larry Walker. Cardinals outfielder Tyler O'Neill, like Walker, a Canadian is
5: great for the baseball Canada community. You know, entirely just to have a guy like that. Like we got, we got Joey. We have uh, Russell Martin. We got some good guys in the league too. Um, but to have you know a Hall of Famer in our country is is uh, so inspiring to the younger kids. You know, just just to get us into baseball rather than playing hockey or, or rugby or some something else up there. You know, for me personally, looking up to Larry Walker when he was when he was playing um, and I was growing up, it got me into baseball. Just to be able to try and follow in his footsteps would be would be a positive for me.
1: The Cardinals are going to play O'Neill a ton this spring as he tries to win the job in left field. He'll have the chance to win that job and stay in the lineup and produce for an offense that was sluggish. That's being kind at times. A year ago, a big question: Can Matt Carpenter regain
4: his form at the plate? Manager Mike Schild, I know Matt's been very sincere and with Jeff about being a complete hitter again, just taking a good at bat. I tell you what I want to say. I just want to take a good at bat. Have the ability to hit the ball the other way. Have the ability to hit the ball in the gap, and have the ability to hit the ball the ballpark, but not feel like you got to do one of it three or two of three, and, and or be in between of what you're trying to do. Just try to have the good at bat. You know, take your walks, which you will. Have a good at-bat. As many as consistent good at-bats you can take, and the numbers will – speak for themselves. Another player trying to gain traction this spring is
1: Harrison Bader. He spent his offseason right here in Florida. You know,
3: working with some new guys, training, training outdoors and in the, in the sun and the warmth, which was nice. Obviously, didn't really get that in New York the past few years, so kind of uh, attacked everything. Worked very hard, worked smart, and I feel like uh, everything's moving in the right direction. I'm very, very excited and very proud of that. Looking forward to going out there and, and putting in all the use.
1: Late last week, the Cardinals added to their infield depth and also their bench. When they sign left-handed hitting, Brad Miller. I'm really excited to to join the Cardinals.
2: I've uh, heard nothing but the best about the organization. Obviously, getting to play at Busch Stadium as a visiting player. Loved the atmosphere. Loved playing in front of the fans. And, um, yeah, excited to you know join in on the fun.
1: So that's some of the news here in camp concerning the St. Louis Cardinals. The news with baseball, though, it's all about the Houston Astros cheating scandal. In what may have been one of the worst press conferences in sports just down the road here in Florida. It was awful. Astros owner Jim Crane addressed the media.
6: You know, our opinion is, uh, you know, that this didn't impact the game. Um, We had a good team. Um, We won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that. Did you say you feel like this didn't impact
5: the game? And what do you mean by that?
6: I, I didn't say it didn't impact the game. Basically. You know, as the commissioner said in his report, he's not going to go backwards. Um, it's hard to, to determine how it impacted the game, if it impacted the game, and that's where we're going
1: to leave it. Uh, okay, so that press conference happened, and then there was reaction throughout the game and really throughout sports. Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch joins me every week on Scoops with scoopswithdannymack.com.
4: It's remarkable to me that the Astros had, you know, what was it, more than three weeks to prepare for this this day, and they screwed it up as bad as they did. It, it's remarkable that they can fare better on knowing what pitch is coming in a matter of milliseconds than they can fare better knowing which questions are coming weeks in advance and still with as badly as they did during this media day at, at spring training. Look, there were not a lot of things the Astros can say that would make everybody say, okay, yeah, we get it. Let's all move on. Okay, it's hard for the it's hard to win this press conference, but to have such conflicting statements in a matter of minutes is hard to wrap your your brain around. I mean, you have Jim Crane sitting up there saying this didn't affect the game in one moment, and then moments later saying, "Well, I didn't say that. No, you just did, Jim. Now you're now 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 you have everything you said today has been has been washed away. These guys wanted to." Have the briefest, most insincere apologies in the history of baseball, and have everybody pat him on the back. And I think that kind of speaks to the culture that exists now in Houston. It's it's why isn't everybody for us? Why isn't everybody going to let this slide? And baseball isn't going to let it slide. I mean, there are some massive questions here that have still been left unanswered. Dan, I mean, the the story the Wall Street Journal had about the code breaker system and Jeff Lunau's you know attempts to deny that he knew about it despite multiple people saying that he did and the fact that that still led to a report from rob manfred that said this was player driven is mind-boggling especially when you have jim crane saying at this press conference that it was that it was leader driven and that those guys are now gone dan those guys aren't gone the guy who invented it still works for the team one of the guys who, who put it into place still works for the team, and the Astros can't even answer if those people are going to still have jobs this season. Nothing was nothing was said during this day that, that makes people think that the Astros are taking this seriously, that the Astros are truly remorseful for what they've done.
1: That's a writer's perspective. Now John Smoltz, the Hall of Famer and lead analyst for baseball's postseason, appeared on MLB Network Radio. It
6: is unique because you'd wonder where was this outcry 15, 17 years ago about steroids. Uh, I, I think when you deal with this kind of scale and you go the, the length that they did and it's been well documented and explained, that's where it starts angering people collectively from performances that were adverse or performances that could have been you know, given a, a huge advantage to have success. I just think that people <clears throat> in their anger have to be careful and make sure they're clean when they're going to come yep. out and spew a lot of anger. Got to make sure their 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 club has been clean because this is not the only teams that have done things. Uh, this is the one team that got caught. This is the one team that took it to a, a the next level. And it was three years ago, and and one would would you know one plus one is not always two, but in our minds right now we're going to feel every rumor's true. Everything we believe about them no longer has any credibility, so whatever they say, you know, it's, it's a bad place to be. They put themselves in this place, and they're going to have to walk it out. There's no other way but to wear it and deal with it and prove to the rest of baseball that that was then, and they're just as good of players now as they were so-called given an advantage back then. That's where the anger starts building up because in your mind – Competition supposed to be, I'm better than you because I executed. I'm not better than you because I have this advantage that doesn't even give you a level playing field. That's where I think you, know, you start realizing where players come from and where that line had been crossed in a, in a really, really um,
1: tough-to-understand way. What about the current players? Cody Bellinger was a part of the Dodgers team that lost to the Astros in the World Series. He does not hold back. I thought the apologies were whatever.
5: Uh, I thought Jim Crane's was weak. Um, I thought Manfred's punishment was weak, giving him immunity. Um, I mean, these guys were cheating for three years. You know, I think what people don't realize is Altuve stole an MVP from Judge in 17. Everyone knows they stole the ring from us. Personally, I lost respect for those guys. Um, I think I would say. Everyone in the show and the big leagues lost respect for those guys. I don't know what human hits a walk-off home run against Aldous Chapman to send your team to the World Series. And one, has the thought to say, don't rip my jersey off. But two, go in the tunnel, change your shirt, and then come out and do your interview. Like that, that makes no sense to me. It makes zero sense to me. Cause I know me, Gary Sanders said yesterday, you can rip my shirt off. My pants off. I set my team in the World Series off for all this
1: Chapman in the ninth inning at home. You can do, you know, I'm going crazy. Jake Marisnik, a former Astro, is now with the Mets. And with the Mets' medium, that market, he knew the questions were coming. I want to start with um, apologizing for what happened in
2: 2017. I mean, I feel, I feel terribly about it. There's a line, and it was definitely crossed. And uh, I want to say sorry to the fans, Major League Baseball, uh, my peers, and anybody else who's affected by this. I mean, when I come in here, I don't want to be a distraction to the Mets clubhouse, but I do. I do recognize that this is a this is a major deal, is a big deal, and that's why uh, I'm here today to talk to you guys about it.
1: Justin Verlander, one to never hold back. Well, we haven't heard much from him, the ace of the Astros. Uh, I wish I had said more. Um,
5: and uh, you know, looking back, I, I can't go. I can't go back. I can't reverse my decision. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like I said, I wish I had said more and I didn't and for that I'm sorry.
7: Was Was this outside the norm? I mean people always say everyone cheats, everyone st- steals signs, was the trash can banging, was this outside of the norm?
5: Um, you know, I can't speak for, for anyone else or any other organizations. The only thing I can do is sit here and speak for the Astros and uh, my teammates and myself. And. Um you know, we, we crossed a boundary. I think, you know, we broke the rules, and we're sorry.
1: As the story continues to unfold, Cardinals hitting coach Jeff Albert was a part of the Astros organization when some of this was happening. He talked to the St. Louis media a few days ago.
3: My, you know, in 2017, I'm the minor league coordinator. And 2018, my experience wasn't really like kind of a lot of stuff that's kind of coming out in the in the media now. So, um I did not really experience a lot of conversation with players, staff, anything like that that had to do with um, anything that I thought was not legal, um, you know, going on there.
4: What Did you feel if, if you had seen something, was there an avenue for you to say anything?
3: I think that would've been really uh, tough. So I understand, you know, from whether it's players, staff members, whatever the case may be, um, I tried to I could kind of go back to that time. And I do think that would've been a tough position to be in. I didn't feel like there was any, like looking around, like I said, conversations with staff players or just looking around. I didn't really feel like I was watching or witnessing anything that was out of the ordinary.
1: From Jeff Albert to the former manager of the Astros, A.J. Hinch, fired by Jim Crane and was called out during the Astros press conference by Crane. He appeared on MLB Network in an interview with Tom Verducci. You know, it
7: happened on my watch. And... I'm not proud of that. I'll I'll never be proud of it. I didn't like it, Um, but I have to own it because in a leadership position, I mean, the commissioner's office made it very, very clear the GM and the manager were in position to make sure that nothing like this happened. And we fell short.
1: The conversation
4: continued with Verducci. Is that true that you twice somehow, and you can explain that maybe in detail, damaged those monitors as a signal to players that you did not endorse what was happening?
7: Yeah, you know, I, I, I did. Um, and I you know, I, didn't, um, I didn't initiate or I didn't endorse it, but I, but I was the manager. And I think there's a responsibility when you're in a position to end it. I think I, you know, my mindset at that point was to demonstrate that I didn't like it. So what did, really what like did you do? I hit it. I mean, I just a bat. I mean, I didn't like it. You took a bat to it. Yeah, I didn't like it. I, I, in hindsight, I would have had a meeting. I should have had a meeting and addressed it face forward and, and really ended it. You know, leadership to me is is often about what you preach. Um, it, it's your it's like your, par, your 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 pillars of what you believe in. Leadership is also about what you tolerate. And I didn't I, I didn't I tolerated too much. And that outlash of uh, of angst that I, I just I didn't I wanted people to know that I didn't didn't like it. I should have done more. I should have I should have addressed it more directly
1: clearly uncomfortable the former manager of the astros a.j hinch cardinals president of baseball operations john Mozeliak, has served on rules committees in major league baseball so what adjustments will the league make in 2020 to assure themselves that this doesn't continue i have
8: been told on, on what some of those things might look like but rather than get ahead of myself or or, or the league i think I, I i better not but you know clearly uh you don't want a, You don't want a repeat of this. And given all the drama and 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 really some of the results of what has happened from this, I can't imagine that it would continue. But you know, crazy things do happen. So I think having some uh, um, governors on this or rules in place will will be something that you do see happen.
1: I'll have a long visit with John Moselock, the rules of the game, and also his team. It's spring training. It rolls on from Jupiter, Florida. This is Tommy Edmond. The 2-2. Edmund with a drive. In to deep left. At the wall. Gone. It's gone.
0: Tommy Edmund. Pinch hit. Three run homer. The rookie comes
2: through. And You're listening to the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN.
0: baseball talk we're back now to the redbird report with the voice of the st louis cardinals danny mack on 101 espn
1: john mosellock the president of baseball operations for the st louis cardinals for over a decade under his watch the Cardinals have never had a losing season. That continued in 2019. The St. Louis Cardinals, National League Central Division champions. Mo, another year is uh, upon us. You have been in this game for a, a long, long time. Do you still get excited when spring training comes around?
8: Oh, absolutely. Um, first off, it's it's always that exciting moment of of spring's approaching. You know that baseball season's getting closer, but. Just seeing everybody gathered down here. And, and, you know, candidly, the the pressure of spring training, especially the first couple weeks, isn't that high. So in terms of just being able to to embrace while you're here and what you're doing, it's so much fun. And, and, you know, I certainly think that as you lead up to games – there, there's a lot of things that you want to see happen and get done, but that just the energy level that that you experience when you're down here is something that is I think is very special. What excites you about the uh, 2020 Cardinals? You know first off, I think we'll be a good club, but the, the thing that i'm I'm most excited to watch, especially um, in camp is just really to see how our our club looks from an offensive standpoint. Um, you know I think about what we try to do this off season, some of the strategies that we've tried to, um, put into place and knowing what hitters were working on, I think it'll be it'll be exciting just to see how that uh, transitions from paper to practice.
1: It takes a while, and Jeff Albert now in year two is that part of it too? Kind of getting his system implemented and and the players that, you know used to him and vice versa. I
8: would I would imagine that last year we we probably took that for granted a little bit, not knowing that. You know teacher has to understand students student has to understand understand teacher and and perhaps we thought that would be a lot more seamless than it really was. but I do feel like now that we've had a year under our belt that that the players understand what's expected from them and I think Jeff understands that there's some adjustments he has to make on his end as well.
1: I remember we were visiting in the fall and and you said, well carp's got to make some adjustments, whether it's physically, Mentally, what's happening at the plate? those kind of things? What have you learned at least initially here in spring training, or talk to him about in terms of getting back to the kind of player and hitter that he can be?
8: Well, I think at first he just looks stronger, so you know I think he tends to when he goes away for the off season, he tends to come back maybe uh a little too lean, and I think you know over the course of a season, I think that affects him a little bit. So I, I think the added uh, muscle mass was something that he needed to do, and I think that was smart. And, you know, just talking to him, I think he realizes that, you know, last year was was not the year he wanted to have, and he's owned that, and I think he wants to see a, a much different outcome. This
1: time last year you are about to have a cup of coffee with Paul Goldschmidt and turn that into, well, a long-term deal with the St. Louis Cardinals. Now with a year under his uh, belt and in, in being relaxed maybe with family and those kind of things in St. Louis and situated, what kind of year do you think Paul Goldschmidt could have?
8: You know, I think expectations are always tough when you, when you sign one of those types of contracts. And, and so the fact that it, it, it is a year away now, I think gives you a little bit more breathing room. So expectations for him are very high. I also think just understanding the city, understanding his own routine is something that that he now has and so, you know, I think taking that next step forward is something that is uh, very reasonable to assume. And I, I think he's in a very good spot, and I know he would like to uh, have a much stronger year as well.
1: The day the, the season ended, people were talking about lineup construction for 2020. Um, what, do you, what do you think about the lineup right now in terms of up top and where did Goldie might hit? Is he three? Is he four? Is he going to stay at three? I mean, all those things. How do you think this is all going to play
8: out? Um, ask Mike Schild. Um <laughs> you know, I think like just overarching, I think is, is, I do think we have options though, to, to hit people in different spots. And, and I think, you know, you're hoping that that's the, the sort of the depth of your lineup that gives you that flexibility. But I, I can understand why people are question, well, why didn't you add more offense? But baseball is an interesting game. You can go out and sign the best player in the game offensively but if you don't have things around it it won't matter Mm -hmm. And, and I think collectively we all recognize that last year was not a good year for us offensively so collectively we need a better year Harrison
1: Bader is part of that are you seeing signs maybe just initially and I know there's not live games yet but initially that he looks like a better player too at the plate
8: he certainly looks stronger um from a physical standpoint I have not spent a whole lot of time in the backfields watching people hit yet but um you know, I have read that that his swing looks a little different, and so I'm certainly excited to see what those changes look like, and more importantly, do those changes um, show better results?
1: Do you think that Paul DeYoung has got to sit a little bit more throughout the season this year, just to give him maybe it's a mental break, but also the physical part of that too?
8: Um, you know, I think every player is different, but allowing players to, to catch their breath during a, a year the during the season, I think, is very real and and something that we should be cognizant of and you look at our season and and you can look at our schedule right now and there's certainly times where you're going to be like okay coming back from that road trip you're probably going to be a little more tired so trying to to take advantage of that 26 man i think would be smart and allowing people to to catch their breath from time to time is i think very very smart it's
1: going to be a fun outfield competition what does tyler o'neill have to do in terms of getting to the next level and becoming potentially an everyday major league player?
8: You know, I think in Tyler's case, he has to have the self-confidence that he belongs because the way he plays at AAA a versus what we've seen here at the big leagues is almost two different players. Um, you know, you ask stubby Clapp and, and ask him to, to um, grade out his defense. He would put him as an elite defender here it hasn't quite gone as smoothly and and i think from an offensive standpoint obviously trying to put the ball in play making hard contact more often is something that that's important so you know combining all of that knowing that he belongs i think i do think he's entering this camp though with with the mindset of you know i'm getting a true chance versus in the past years he knew no matter what he did it wasn't probably going to be enough sure whereas now with 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 the opportunities that exist in this outfield, he knows if he does well, he'll get a chance to play.
1: How about Lane Thomas, small sample size, but from what we've seen at the major league level, this kid can play. What are, what are you anticipating with him?
8: Well, you know, very similar uh, comment that we just talked about with O'Neal, a little different in, in, in terms of their game, but, you know, both are very athletic. Both, um, I think, have a chance to be plus defenders. So when you look at, at how our outfield might shake out, You know, having a good six weeks here is important, but I think that's one of the things we want to just make sure these guys understand that it's not all about these six weeks, but certainly take advantage of it. Try to show improvements where you need to. I think what Lane was able to do when we got to see him last year at the big leagues was a very exciting player. Um, Certainly felt like we missed him in September. And so just being able to know that he's healthy, and ready to contribute on an everyday basis, I think is good news for the Cardinals.
1: Dylan Carlson, uh, your, you know, expectations for him in this uh, spring camp.
8: Well, if you recall last year, he had a really good camp. I I don't think his camp is necessarily going to decide like, like where he ends up when you, when you have O'Neill and, and Lane Thomas where they are, they've got to get sort of first opportunity. I think, um, Obviously, Bader needs a good camp as well, and and we want Dex to as well. But you know, ultimately, it's going to come down to to him being able to get his his at bats uh, defensively, move him around a little bit in the outfield. But you know, when you look back at last year, very successful year at Double A, um, went up to Triple A, and and certainly made the most of it. But I think for him, getting a, a few more Triple A at bats is most important, and. You know, but I also think, you know, depending on what Lane and and Tyler do, really will dictate that.
1: That's John Moselock. When we come back, we'll talk rules changes, the bench, and Cardinals pitching on 101 ESPN.
0: More baseball talk. We're back now to the Redbird Report with the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.
1: Later in the show, it's a visit with Randy Flores, director of scouting for the Cardinals. I continue my visit with John Moselock. It was a 91-win campaign for the St. Louis Cardinals a year ago. Can they do it again? The 0-2. Fly ball, center field. This is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep. Of the Cubs at Wrigley for the first time since 1921, St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015, a Wrigley Field massacre. As I mentioned, when we started this, you've been in baseball for a long time, so you can pick up things that maybe the average fan doesn't when you're watching something as simple as a bullpen. is there been a guy that has really caught your attention, even though it's early, but just watching him throw and how the ball's coming out of his hand right now?
8: You know, nothing that, that jump, jumps out at me other than maybe Oviedo. Um, He's a big dude, by the way. Yeah, he absolutely looks <laughs> the part. But when you're talking about just sort of like uh, ball-leaving hand, it's it's pretty impressive. And and so right now I think like the good news for the Cardinals is we, we, we have a lot of different options on, on what our pitching may or may not look like. It's early in camp right now. I think, uh, you know, we're just doing these the soft bullpens right now ultimately we'll start seeing live BPs but as I look at it you know my fingers are crossed we can have a healthy camp because that's most important.
1: How about KK Kim you've had the chance now to see him up close what have you seen out of him?
8: Um, Kind of as advertised really uh, but you know I think from just a personality standpoint really nice guy I think he's enjoying his, his, his brief time here and you know I think he's someone that, that you know, certainly wants to compete for a rotation spot and so you know, it's going to be very competitive to see who breaks as our five, but, you know, clearly um, looks like he has the, the right package to start.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like Carlos Martinez seems to be just from the eye test in better shape even than last year. He looks in pretty good shape
8: coming into camp. Yeah, he looks great. Um, I was actually talking with some people earlier that he clearly is someone that used his offseason wisely, and I think, you know, that'll help him. And, you know, I – you, you think back to the last couple of years, we've been trying to get him back into the rotation, but it just wasn't working. This year, he wanted to get back in the rotation, so I think he approached it differently, and uh, fingers crossed it'll work out for him.
1: Any idea on a closer, <laughs> as we sit here and talk in February? Well,
8: I mean, I certainly have some ideas, but I'd, I really don't want to start like naming names right now. I think the the most important thing is, is, is that we're going to have some options, and... Um, You know, obviously we feel like we've got some horsepower down there. So in terms of who gets that, I think, you know, we'll allow the next six weeks to sort of dictate it.
1: One of the guys I I love to watch when he's healthy, and I know you do too and fans do, is Alex Reyes. Um, How's Alex doing and and your expectations for Alex coming out of this camp?
8: So I would say this. um, I've only seen him throw briefly, but in, in terms of expectations, I think they're low. Uh, when you look at how we set up our, our offseason and our roster, we we didn't go into this thinking he's going to be in our bullpen or he's going to be in our rotation because the last few years have not gone as planned. And, and so I think for him, really he just needs to show he's healthy, and then when he gets the opportunity to throw, he needs some success.
1: Mo, uh, Yachty's entering the final year of his contract. At what point do you start – at least discussing that with Yadi if that has already happened probably I guess some of those conversations but at what point do you start really amping that up and you know think about the end of this deal and maybe another one
8: you know I think that's something that that mr. DeWitt and I need to to sit down and do first and then at some point I imagine I will connect with his agent
1: okay rule changes in the game the 26 man on a roster how are the Cardinals approaching that particular spot
8: well I think for us, there's really sort of two ways you can look at it. One is is having someone that that can be very flexible in terms of positions played, or it could be maybe a third catcher. So I, I think like every team's going to treat it differently. The way we're lined up, I think we could probably go either way.
1: Yeah, Brad Miller was signed. Tell us a little bit about him and and your bench and that competition maybe with Miller now in the mix.
8: Well. Again, going back to the sort of that 26-man exactly. type of opportunity and, and the fact that you know someone that can swing it from the left side, I just feel like, and can play multiple defensive positions, just gives uh, our manager a lot of tools in the toolbox. A
1: three-batter minimum. Good for baseball. You like it. I, I know you're really into the, the game in terms of you're asked about the rules all the time and committees and those kind of things. What do you think about this particular rule?
8: I don't think it'll be that impactful to, especially to the average fan. Um, again, if you finish the inning, you can face one hitter or two. Yeah. Right. I think it it gets a little bit more tricky as as you bring in a reliever and he starts the inning, and that's where you're gonna, you know, that's where things could get a little testy. Yeah. But you know, ultimately, I I, I think it it's probably not going to have as big of impact as maybe some people think.
1: A couple more questions, I'll let you go. The London series, uh, it's great for the Cardinals. I mean, why is it a good thing for the St. Louis Cardinals? Some fans ask, but why are they going to London? Well, I'll ask John Moselak. Why is it good for the Cardinals?
8: Well, when you think about your brand and, and having the ability to grow it globally, is, is something that you, these are rare opportunities. And, and so, you know, we think about the Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals, as something where, you know, being able to, to reach out and touch people we normally couldn't seemed attractive to us. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I don't know if, if the London series is going to go on past this year or not. But, you know, I think it's a, it's a great honor to know that it was Boston, New York, you know, St. Louis, Chicago. Yeah. And, and so to be thought of in that type of uh, um, regard is something that I think we were all flattered. And we thought it was a great opportunity for our brand and for our fans.
1: Finally, Mo, uh, with what's gone on in Houston, what, what kind of restrictions is baseball going to look at with all teams before opening day? What are they going to try to do to make sure that these kind of things don't happen?
8: Well, I, I, I have been told on, on what some of those things might look like, but rather than get ahead of myself or, or, or the league, I think I, I, I better not. But, you know, clearly uh, you don't want a repeat of this. And given all the drama and 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 really some of the results of what has happened from this i can't imagine that it would continue but you know crazy things do happen so i think having some uh, um governors on this or rules in place will will be something that you do see happen
1: thanks mo appreciate thank, it thank you dan many thanks to john mosey when we return it's a visit with randy flores from drafting players to the use of analytics to evaluate players and seeing his former teammates go into the cardinals hall of fame All that is coming up with Randy Flores on 101 ESPN.
5: Fans, this is Cardinals pitcher Andrew Miller.
1: The St. Louis Cardinals National League Central Division champions.
5: You're listening to the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN.
0: More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report with the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.
1: Back in Jupiter, Florida, this is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. He pitched for the Cardinals, helped win a championship for St. Louis back in 2006, and now Randy Flores runs the Cardinals draft. What has the transition been like for him, being player to now
9: in the front office for St. Louis? You know what? It's a, it's a fun transition, actually. And, and what's fun is that you're just exposed to so much more uh, in the front office about the machine uh, of the game, in, of the Cardinals, and all that goes into it. In um, the relationship from the, the, the city to the players, the players to this this great franchise. And in in this role, you're so much more aware of that than you are as a player. Um,
1: I was going to ask you, did you have any idea as a player what it was like, what the front office was like, that viewpoint of, of watching the game now, how you view it as now opposed to when you were playing?
9: Look, I give Mo all the credit in the world because when we talked about interviewing for the role, my very first question was, what's a scouting director do? And so that's how naive I was about the baseball operations department and and the different uh, departments within baseball operations. And uh, it it is amazing to know that there are so many people, not just players, so many people who pour their life into this game and work in baseball operations or for the Cardinals.
1: Analytics, uh, how would you describe that to just the average fan? I mean, your job is to evaluate players. You see things, but also sometimes the data will either confirm what you see or maybe have you
9: take a different look, I would imagine, with analytics. Yeah, Mac, let, maybe it's almost like oversimplify it, but just think before there were mobile, small radar guns that you could take to games. Yeah, It used to just be a scout's eye saying, that guy throws fast. Okay, well, how do you quantify that? How do you measure it? How fast? In comparison to whom? Over the entire game or only one pitch? All that had to be done just by the feel of a scout until radar guns came. So to oversimplify the next progression, everything else in analytics is just a better version of a radar gun, whether that's measuring uh, their performance, whether that's measuring their their physical uh, assessment, whether that's uh, their cognitive assessment. Uh, The analytics just give uh, greater detail uh, to things that we had to do only by feel before.
1: So when you have a player and he's off the charts analytically, but yet on... Paper or maybe in the game, I should say, and what you're watching, you're like, man, I don't know about this kid. How do you, how do you say, well, analytics is better than this, or the eye test is better than this, or a scout is better than this? So that's what's going to give us the edge in maybe taking a player or not taking a player. You does
9: know, that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I think the way I'd answer it, and you could help me if I'm answering this uh, the right question or the right way, is it's collaborative. Um, there is no cookie cutter approach. Um, and so when there is when when there's dissonance or there's disagreement, sure. uh, you really have to dive deeper into your scouting. You have to get multiple scouting looks. Uh, you have to re-examine your uh, analytics and make sure that that uh, quality control and it's audited correctly. Uh, and so you just try to make sure that every input into that process is optimized, and then get closer to a decision rather than throwing up your hands and saying, well that's what one scout thinks and that's what one uh, analytical viewpoint says
1: how proud of uh do you get when you're watching a game and all of a sudden one of the kids that, that you drafted has been brought up and contributes to a, a cardinal game how, how proud do you get of that fact
9: look I, I saw it for the first time i was hired september 1st 2015 and we made the playoffs that that uh the cardinals made the playoffs in 2015 and i sat up in mo's box and to see the look on his face and the Mike Gersh's face and Moises Rodriguez and Gary Larocque, and John Vooch, see their look in their face as the playoffs began, uh, they, they knew the story of those players. They mm-hmm. knew how those players were acquired. They knew the ups and downs, the injuries that they battled back from. Uh, there was a narrative and an arc that they were uh, immersed with. And I was absent that because I was just beginning. So more than just being personally proud, it's actually more proud to join, uh, to have a, a little bit of a glimpse and a match of their facial expressions as we made the playoffs last year and you're seeing guys uh, who who were a part of our draft process in 2016 and it felt like I was joining the party.
1: Yeah is it more nerve-wracking to be in game seven of the NLCS on the mound at Shea Stadium or is it more nerve-wracking to watch a kid that you drafted maybe in that same situation?
9: Wow that's a good question I I think they're different but I they they are both very very intense. Uh, I I can say that before maybe even the draft day so on draft day the the feelings get very very close together yeah you know the feeling of game seven um the 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 amount of focus it takes to block out the noise and the signal and the stakes uh as a player uh are are very very similar to the stakes as you're about to choose which player to pick from from options and and if if you be if you become overwhelmed by by the stakes at hand, yeah. right, that those selections impact this organization, they impact the Cardinals, they impact this city, um, you could be frozen. And so uh, being able to carry over some of the lessons of the playing career, I think kind of applies to situations like that, uh, where you take a minute to trust your preparation for the task at hand.
1: There, I think people would be very curious about this. Um, how often when you're watching a kid and you're watching these high school kids and college kids, How often do you see shifts now in that level of baseball, and how prevalent is that in watching just even high school baseball now?
9: Look, even even going even younger now, you know, you watch it really? you know, what what I mean by this is that the, the coaching involvement is, is, is so much more prevalent, even at the youth level than it ever was when you and I were playing the game. And so I'm going all the way to 10 years old. I have family members who are playing elite travel ball and at 10 years old, they're having their pitches called for them. You know, their pitch outs are called from their, their their involvement in the game is at, at such a level uh, that the players, you wonder if they're being robotic or they're learning yeah. the actual game specifically to your question about the shift, it's becoming uh, more prevalent now, and you're also seeing the use of analytics now in college baseball, uh, specifically. Uh, The training methods that Major League Baseball teams are adopting, many of them, not all, but many have come from proliferation at the collegiate level. And so there really is an intermixing now of the analytics, assessments, and teaching tools uh, across the amateur and professional landscape.
1: So do you sit there and look at video and say, well, he's got a good launch angle, or this exit velocity, is this, the spin rate on this guy is that. Are you able to to break that down with a lot of video, or do you have to get a guy hooked up to see exactly what he's doing?
9: Look, there's a a lot of ways to get that. And so yes, it can be done with video, it can be done with other tools. Uh, But more importantly, in the amateur scouting department, we try to work really hard to find a sample size that's big enough for it to actually matter. Uh, Any one pitch or one throw can do a certain thing. Uh, uh, But what is it over time? the younger the player you are the more that player changes also so if you're married only to one analytical model or one assessment uh you run in danger of the uh uniqueness of of of, of change or improvement or adaptation of the player
1: how amazing is it for you to look back and still see yachty and Wayno doing what they're doing at this level i mean yeah. these guys were 2004 2005 yeah. and they're still
9: playing at a high level it, it's unbelievable especially uh for the roles that they have. They're not bench players. They're right. not role players. I mean, the, the Yachty is a, every single day. The, the focus it takes for him to do it as the captain of that team, uh, for Wainwright to come back from the injuries that he has and, and to pitch the way he did last year, and we're expecting the same of him this year, you know, it's just a testament to how special uh, a talent and, and people that they are. Unique breeds. Are out in the uh, bullpen. You were one of them. Uh, you guys had a lot of fun <laughs> yep. out there.
1: What did it mean to to, to see Izzy going to the uh, St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame for you?
9: I was just so proud of him. You know, I, I was here because you guys are very close. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? I, what 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 I what I most admire and what I love sharing to people about Izzy is that in 2006, it wasn't going well for him. He was hurt, and it was an example. You know, uh, to see someone who. Was on the highest of highs in 2003, 4, and 5, and then in six hits a lot of adversity physically and mentally, and seeing how he handled that as a pro, how he didn't how he didn't become bitter, how he didn't um, isolate himself from the team. Right. Um, that that's why I admire him so much. Yes, he's a great pitcher. Yes, his talent deserves to get into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. But the example that he provided to myself and others in the bullpen uh, was what a professionalism should be when things aren't going. John Mosaylock, I always tell
1: this to to a lot of folks, uh, especially at dinners or whatnot, if I have to intro John, is that what you see on TV, the stoic guy and the you know, low-hanging fruit and at the end of the day and all the the cat arbitrage, you always hear these things from him. Um, I always say, you know what? Underneath all that is a very kind human being, a very warm human being, and one of the best people you ever meet. I know he's been influential for you both professionally and, and away from the game, what what is John Moselyak meant to you?
9: I mean, he he the, the conviction uh, that it took to to seemingly pull me off the street is I'm forever indebted to him, and it, and it takes. Uh, tremendous confidence and conviction in yourself to be able to, to make a move like that, to, to bring in uh, Mike Matheny, who had never had managing experience, to manage the team, uh, to Mike Schilt, who had never played professional baseball, to be a manager of the team and now a National League Manager of the Year, uh, to pull myself out of uh, obscurity re- regarding not uh, being part of a front office, to then lead the scouting department. Uh, it's really an example of when you trust that the decision's right, you go and make the decision independent of what uh, others may, may say. Mm-hmm. Now, on a personal level, um, and, and you know this from seeing me as a player deal with the media, in a sport of baseball where you have to talk with the media and engage with them as much as you do, and in a game of failure, uh, it's very, very hard to, be, uh, to not have your guard up or to not have two faces, a, a professional, a corporate-facing side. And and then, and then to peel that back at different times to be um, more, more of your non-professional self. You get what I'm going at here. Absolutely. And so, when you ask, you know. Uh, about the softer side of Mo or the more engaging side of Mo. Yes, I, I, I've seen that, and I've go that, that goes back all the way to plane days. And that's very easy for me to come to terms with and grips with because myself and guys like Brad Thompson and other rookies who were very reserved with the media uh, regarding our public facing, we were very different once the cameras and microphones uh, were off. Well, let's uh, wrap it up with a couple more questions. Uh, your travel
1: schedule is insane. If people knew what it was like, give, give me like a, a week, in the life of Randy Flores of going to try to find the next Albert Pujols or the next great
9: Dylan no. Carlson, whatever. What's it What's it like? No, I, 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 I'm I, going to apologize for kind of punting on the question only because I don't want to lionize uh, the schedule, right? Okay. Uh, it, I'm doing nothing different than any other scouting director or any other scout or any cross is doing. And so I don't want to, uh, to, to, to make it seem as if the, the magic number of days or hotel nights or travel or miles is the elixir of success. Um, but, but what I will say is that um, the, the, the game requires time, right? Mm-hmm. The game requires time. You know this uh, in broadcasting, it's not a once a week game. Right. And scouting the game in baseball operations is not a once a week or five days a week type job. And so I'm very, very lucky to be surrounded by people who, who have this, quote, disease for the game. You right. have to in have, a good have way. in a good way, a good disease right. for the game. And then even more than that, to have family who understands uh, my disease and, and bears it with me. Finally,
1: um, the strength of the minor league system, where do you think it is right now for the Cardinals? And and again, it, it could change very quickly with spring training here and you get your next class in and th- those kind of things. And then the strength of the draft. Is there any indication where that's going to be this year?
9: Uh, I'll handle the draft first and, and the the. Third-party publications are are mentioning the depth of this draft. And it's a a little tricky to talk about depth because when does depth end? Is it after the top 10 picks? Right. Is it the top 100 players? Well, if that's the answer, wow, it's a very deep draft, great 100 players. Well, that's only the top three rounds or so. We have 37 more. So depth is in the eye of the beholder of of where you talk about depth. But um, there is word out there um, that that it is a strong draft class. Now, regarding our own uh, minor league system, uh, the state of that, I think one of the great things about our organization is that um, that we have experienced success independent of the, the third party publications and sometimes uh, or, 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 or different than them and also in alignment with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, our internal view of our own players um, is different sometimes than what other people think. Uh, I would say that a year ago this time we were internally very excited about the future of Dylan Carlson. Now, it took a year or six months or three yeah. months for the industry to come to the understanding of our excitement. And so what I'd say now is uh, we are excited about our minor league system, What we are excited about our pipeline, and we know how vital that pipeline is to Cardinals' success. You're the best. Thank you so much. All right,
1: thanks, Mac. That's Randy Flores. That does it for the show. Many thanks to John Mosellock, Randy Flores, and a host of others. We'll talk to you next week on the Redbird Report here on 101 ESPN.